0: Chapter 12, Part 6 of A History of Greece to the Death of Alexander the Great, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dick Durrett. A History of Greece... To the Death of Alexander the Great, Volume 2, by John Bagnell Bury, Chapter 12, Part 6. Spartan Supremacy and the Persian War, Section 6. The King's Peace. We must now turn from the Isthmus of Corinth to the eastern coasts of the Aegean. The Lacedaemonians ascribed the success of their opponents to the support of Persia and drew the conclusion that their chance lay in detaching Persia to their own side. With this view, they had dispatched Antalcidas to open negotiations with Tiribanus. The proposals of Sparta were that the Hellenic cities of Asia should be subjects of the king that this was the price of Persian help, that all Hellenic cities should be independent. This was aimed at the Confederates, at the supremacy of Thebes in Boeotia, and at the union of Corinth with Argos. The Athenians and their allies sent Conon and other envoys to counteract the mission of Antalcidas and perhaps it was at this time also that they sent the orator Andocides to Sparta to consider terms of peace. Both the missions of Andocides and the mission of Antulcidas were alike unsuccessful. Teribazus, who was favorable to Sparta and threw Conan into prison, was recalled and his successor Struthus had no Spartan leanings. The object of Antalcidas was indeed ultimately reached, but its attainment was postponed for four or five years, and the war went on as before. The military events of these years are not of great interest. Our knowledge of them is meager. In Asia, the Spartan cause revives. Thibron is sent out once more, and though he sustains a severe defeat at the hands of Struthus, it is not until he has won over Ephesus, Magnesia, and Priene. Soon, Sinaitis and Samos follow the example of these cities. Agesilaus invades Achaemenia. And forces the Arcananians to join the Lacedaemonian League. His colleague Agesipelas carries out one of those invasions of Argolis which lead to nothing. Then the Spartans use Aegina as a base for harassing Attica, and a warfare of surprises is carried on between the harmost of Aegina and Athenian admirals. The Harmost, Gorgopus captured four ships of an Athenian squadron. The Athenian Chabrius then landed in aegina uh, laid an ambush and killed Georgippus. Talusius, the brother of Agisilus, was sent to aegina soon afterwards. He made an attack on the Piraeus at daybreak and towed away some of the galleys lying in the harbor. In old Greece, the war was on the whole advantageous to Sparta, though no decisive success was gained. But the most important event was the recovery of Athenian dominion on the Propontis. At this moment, Athens was in great financial straits, for she had ceased to receive Persian subsidies. When an indirect impost of 140th had been tried and found insufficient, a direct war tax was levied. For the Athenians had determined to operate both in the south and in the north. In the south to assist their friend Evagoras who was revolting from the great king. In the north to recover control of the road to Euxine Sea. Thrasybulus, the restorer of the democracy, sailed with a fleet of 40 ships to Hellespont and gained over the Athenian alliance the islands of Thassos and Samothrace, the Chersonese, and the two cities which commanded the Bosphorus, Byzantium and Chalcedon. Proceeding to Lesbos, he defeated and slew the Spartan Harmost, and established the Athenian supremacy over most of the island. He also won Menai. The original object for which he had been sent out was to assist Rhodes in maintaining her independence against the efforts of Sparta to regain the mastery of the island. But to act with effect, it was necessary to raise money, and the Athenian fleet coasted around Asia Minor levying contributions. These exactions appear to have been a renewal of the tax of five per cent which Athens imposed on the commerce of her allies after the Sicilian expedition. It seemed like the beginning of a new empire. Aspendus. And philia was one of the places visited, and the visit was fatal to Thrasybulus. The violent methods of his soldiers engaged the inhabitants. They surprised him at night in his tent and slew him. Athens had now lost the two men of action in whom, since the death of Pericles, she owed most. Conon and Thrasybulus. Conan, who soon after his imprisonment by Trebasulus died in Cyprus, had broken down the maritime dominion of the Lacedaemonians of Prussia and had given Athens the means of recovering her independence and her sea power. Thrasybulus had given to the Athenian democracy a new life and breathed in it a new spirit of conciliation and moderation. He strikes us, we know too little of him, as an eminently reasonable citizen, one of these men who command general confidence and are not blessed by prejudice or ambition. The virtues of Thrasybulus were moral rather than intellectual. After his death, insinuations were made against his integrity, and one of his friends, named Ergocles, was found guilty of embezzlement of money collected on the expedition of Thrasybulus and was put to death. but the statements of an advocate, and we have no other evidence, carry no weight. The success of Thrasybulus in re-establishing a toll for the advantage of Athens on merchandise passing through the Bosphorus. Was almost immediately endangered by Anaxibius, whom Sparta promptly sent out to act against Athens with Pharma Bassus. He deprived Athens of her toils by seizing the merchant vessels. Iphicrates was dispatched to oppose him with twelve thousand peltasts, and the Hellespont became the scene. Of the same kind of warfare of raids and surprises which we saw carried on at Aegina. At last, Iphicrates saw a favorable opportunity for a decisive blow. Anaxibius had gone to place a garrison in Antaldrus, which he had just gained over. Iphicrates crossed by night from the Chosunni and laid an ambush on the return route near the gold mines of Kremast. The troops of Anaxibis marched in careless order traversing the narrow mountain passes in extended single file without the slightest suspicion that an enemy lay in the way. Suddenly, as they were coming down from the mountains into the plains of Kremast, the Peltasts of Iphricrates leaped out and Exibius saw at a glance that the case was desperate. The scattered hoplites had no chance against the peltasts. I must die here, he said to his men. My honor demands it, but do you save yourselves? A devoted youth who constantly accompanied him fell fighting by his side. This exploit of Ephicrates ensured the command of the Hellespont and the Bosphorus to Athens. Unfortunately for Athens, the political situation changed and other great powers intervened. At the beginning of the 4th century, there were three great powers which aimed at supremacy over portions of the Greek world. Persia, Sparta, and a tyrant of Syracuse Dionysius. At first, however, it was not a case of these three great powers uniting in a sacred alliance for the suppression of liberty. Dionysius did not intervene in the East, and Persia and Sparta contested the supremacy over the Asiatic Greeks. Thus Persia, in the cause of her own supremacy in Asia, made common cause with liberty elsewhere. The general military failure of Sparta forced her to seek a reconciliation with Persia on the basis of abandoning Asia. One of the obstacles to the accomplishment of this object was the influence of the satrap Phanabasis, who cherished bitter hostility to the country of Dursillidus and Adjusillus. On the other hand, Athens had taken an ambiguous step which could not fail to create distrust and resentment at the Persian court. If Athens was indebted to Persia for the restoration of her walls, she had also been befriended and supported by Evagoras, prince of Silanus, the friend of Conan, and she had bestowed upon him her citizenship in recognition of his services. Thus, when he revolted from Persia, Athens was in an embarrassing position. The support of Persia against Sparta was all-important to her. Artaxerxes was her ally, but Evagoras was her citizen too, and a Greek. Against her own apparent interest, Athens sent 10 ships to assist her Cypriot friend, and though they were captured by a Lacedaemonian admiral and never actually served against the Persians, the incident was calculated to dispose the great king to entertain the overturn of Sparta. The diplomatist Antalcidas went up to Sasa and reserved his proposals. Backed by the influence of Trebazus. He overcame the reluctance of Artaxerxes, who was personally prepossessed against Sparta and induced him to agree to enforce a general pacification on the same conditions which had been proposed before. Opposites on the part of Phnbarus was removed by summoning him a court to marry a daughter of Artaxerxes. The diplomacy of Sparta was successful not only at Susa, it was successful also at Syracuse and obtained an auxiliary force of twenty trinemes from the tyrant Dionysius. With the support of the west and east, Sparta was able to force the peace upon Hellas. When Antalcidas and the returned to the coast, they found Iphicrates blockading the Sparta fleet at Abydos. Antalicidus dexterously rescued the fleet from this predicament and was able, when the Syracusan vessels joined him, as well as Persian reinforcements, to blockade the Athenians in the Hellespont and present corn vessels from reaching Athens. The coasting... Trade of Africa was at the same time suffering grievously through the raids from Aegina, which have already been mentioned. Hence peace was expedient for Athens, and the allies could not think of continuing the war without her. The representatives of the belligerents were summoned to Sadia, and Tiribanus read aloud the edict of his master, showing them the royal seal. It was to the effect, King Artaxerxes thinketh it just that the cities of Asia and the islands of Clasomena and Cyprus shall belong to him. Further, that all the other Greek cities, small and great, shall be autonomous, except Lemnos, Imbros, and Sirius, which shall belong to Athens as aforetime. If any refuse to accept this peace, I shall make war on them along with those who are of the same purpose, both by land and sea, with both ships and money. The representatives were to report to the cities the terms of the peace and then meet at Sparta to declare their acceptance. All accepted. But the Thebans raised a difficulty by claiming to take the oath on behalf of all the Iotian cities as well as of themselves. Such a proposal would clearly place the Ionian cities in a different class from the other cities of Greece, which took the oath each for itself. It was an attempt to assert the dependence of the Boeotian communities of Thebes, whereas one of the chief objects of the peace was to assert this autonomy. Agisilus was secretly pleased with the opposition of Thebes. He hoped that the Thebans would persist in it and give him the opportunity of attacking and subduing their detested city. But they submitted in time and disappointed his vengeance. The king's peace was inscribed on stone tablets which were set up in the chief sanctuaries of the Greek states. There was a feeling among many that Greece had suffered a humiliation in having to submit to the arbitration of Persia. Both Spartans and Athenians had alike used Persian help when they could get it, but never before had the domestic conflicts of Hellas been settled by barbarian dictation and under a barbarian sanction. It was Sparta's doing She constituted herself the minister of the great king's will in order to save her own position, and the Greeks of Asia were left to endure oriental methods of government. Athens, though she had lost what Thrasybulus had won for her, was allowed to retain her old insular dependencies in the North Aegean, a concession which shows that it was thought necessary to bribe her into accepting the peace and that Sparta was more eagerly bent on weakening the other confederates. In truth, the main objects were to break up the Boeotian League and to separate the Argives from Corinth. But it was an age of federal experiments and the king's peace, while it dissolved the leagues of Argos and Thebes, led to a federal movement in another quarter. Ephesus, Samos, Sinaitis and Iasus flung back into the power of Persia, formed an alliance with Rhodes, and in token thereof, these cities issued alliance coins of the Rhodian standard, engraven with a picture of the infant Heracles strangling the snakes. It was an alliance for mutual protection of their liberties. These were days in which, from one end of the Greek world to the other, Smaller states, seeing their freedom threatened by Persia, Sparta, or Syracuse, were inclined to draw together into small federations. And from one end of the Greek world to the other, there seems to have spread a fellow feeling among these smaller states, a consciousness that their cause was the same. In the West, Croton and Xathathus, viewed with alarm the extension of the Syracusan Empire seem to have had a secret understanding and it most curious that they too engraved on their money the same symbolic scene again on the Propontis, at Sinaitis and Lampsacus this properly Theban token reappears It is hazardous to draw conclusions from coins as to definite political relations without some further evidence. But Heracles' strangling the snakes seems to have been at the period by tacit unanimity, if nothing more, as an emblem of liberty. End of section. Chapter 12, Part 6. Recording by Dick Manchester, New Hampshire, USA.